You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Good evening, Marty. How are you? Oh, I'm hot, mate. It is so hot here. Yeah, it's unbearable. I've lived in places with higher temperatures, but here in the UK, we don't have air conditioning. I was just chatting to Bruce about it. So, um, yeah, I'm hot. Okay. Well, let's the most important thing is you stay hydrated, right? You, you want to avoid the heat stroke and all that stuff. So, Bruce, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. It is equally hot here, but uh, I have air conditioning, so it's not as bad. That's bullying. I have air conditioning, too. <laughs> I just haven't turned it on yet. Terrible. So let's uh, let's go ahead and jump right into this. We're not going to go over the stuff we went over yesterday. Yesterday was a uh, yesterday was a lecture more than anything else, but uh, had a good time doing it. Bruce, you and I were just sitting down talking about what we were going to do the next time we re- the next time we delve into that, which should be sooner rather than later, I believe. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah, we're, we're going to have to uh, plan that out and give that give that another try. Let's jump right into some UK stuff. This morning, I saw video from last night in Brixton. So what happened there? I understand that there was supposed to be a protest of some sorts, and then clearly it got out of control and looks to me like uh, swords were pulled and things of that nature, and then the police ran and then it went all crazy. So uh, let's let's talk about Brixton. What what happened last night in Brixton? Well, you have me at you know you've got the advantage over me here because I've not actually seen the news. All I've seen was um, videos on social media of the police retreating from a confrontation with hundreds of people in the street. So um, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a bit pissed off about it, really, big time. If the protest turns, if a protest turns violent, then I expect our police to shut it down and shut it down fast. The fact that they were outnumbered, that, you know, they didn't have the proper support, you've got to put that down to Cressida Dick, the, um, the, the head of the Metropolitan Police. And ultimately, if they're short of people, then that sits on Mayor Khan's shoulders. So a real letdown from the police force in not getting this riot under control. It says here that uh, 22 officers were injured in the chaos with two needing hospital treatment after being called to reports of a large unlicensed music event. I, I love that. Hundreds of people were seen on the streets with cops issuing a section... 60 dispersal order in attempt to stop the violence. The Met Police Federation said 15 more colleagues injured in deplorable scenes. Police officers are not punch bags. The violence is despicable. We wish to excuse me. We wish our injured colleagues all well. So my question to this is, I guess, why is the mayor like this is South London? So why is the mayor not held accountable for this? Why wouldn't you see vehicles with water cannons go in and disperse the crowd. If if clearly, if police presence doesn't work and the police are being beat up on, then you need to take stronger measures, right? Well, first off, Boris did buy a couple of water cannons. I think he got them cheap from somewhere in Eastern Europe, but they've never had any training on them. The vehicles themselves are probably by now uh, beyond economical repair, and we have not got water cannons in um, the police arsenal. 
So, you know, when you just said a moment ago that it was an unlicensed music event, do you know what? That probably would have just progressed into drunkenness, drug-fueled stuff. There would have been crime going on underneath it, but it probably wasn't until the police presence turned up that any violence started because the police would have been the target. The police would have been uh, the catalyst for for the violence to start. They would have been attacked. People are thinking they can do anything they want. They're following the, the example of these hats in, uh, what do you call it, Chaz or Chop? Yeah, um, that. That, they, they, you know, the idiots in this country, in the UK, follow the idiots in the United States blindly, and that's what we're seeing. So Mayor Khan is accountable, but of course, Cressida Dick, who is the uh, chief constable of the Metropolitan Police, it's, it falls on her shoulders. Her team or her, her people handled this wrongly. So, you know, it's got to be her fault. To be honest with you. Anyway. Yeah, to be, to be honest with you, I think, and this is just my opinion. I don't have anything to back this up. This is just my opinion on how I see it. I think the police are purposely being set up to fail. That, that's just my opinion. Because if you look at how these events are taking place, how, every, how everything's transpiring at these, quote, protests or these um, <laughs> unlicensed music festivals, I love that. That's great. That's what they're calling Chaz, by the way, an unlicensed music festival, a street festival, a carnival, really. But what they're actually doing, if you watch how the police are pitted against these so-called protesters, which they're domestic terrorists, in my opinion. But as they're being pitted against them, you see that the numbers in the police, like the, the numbers of police that are there are low. They're told not to do anything. But yet when you've got a group of veterans that march down to an area of London to protect monuments for the weekend when there was set to be a protest and, and monument removal by these thugs, then what did you see? You saw a police force that was stacked, all yellow vested up and ready to take on people like they were the ones that were there to do the damage when they were there to protect them and stand side by side with the police. Do you see the agenda I'm, I'm trying to show you here? Oh, yeah, it's, it's so obvious. The problem was with the protection of the or the protecting of the memorials and the statues was that football supporter groups and the English Defence League, they they all said they were coming as well and they and they they did come. And they are the ones that are probably most likely if they were facing off with Black Lives Matters or Antifa protesters, they would kick it off. So the police, 100 percent had to make sure that those two factions were kept well apart. And unfortunately, the veterans fell inside that category. And, you know, it's wrong. In fact, I'm glad that they were policing it that way, but they actually kettled everyone into Trafalgar Square where there were incidences of, of violence. But because they couldn't get at each other, they got at the police, both sides. And that's what's wrong with this whole setup. That's the sick thing about it. It's it's the chaos that the New World Order, and I'm talking George Soros, Bill Gates, Chinese Communist Party, all the bad actors you can imagine, this is the kind of chaos they want to sneak their, you know, plots past us while while we're too busy looking looking elsewhere. And I, it's just making me more and more angry. I said a few days ago when we were talking about 
Capitol Hill, that I hope that the response is absolutely overwhelming, that the the US armed forces are mobilised to clean that place out. And last night, I I would have been happy to put a uniform on again, head to London and be used in whatever way the uh, security services saw fit, because we just need to knock it on the head. It needs to be stamped down on immediately. See, this is the thing. And this this is where I get pushback from some people. The only thing that these people understand, I'm talking about the ones in the streets like this, clearly, the only thing that they understand is violence. That's all they understand. They don't want to sit down and talk. They're not interested in that, right? They're, they're way past that. They're not interested in sitting down to talk or hearing anything you've got to say. They understand one thing and one thing only, and that's violence. And that means that you have to go at them in an aggressive manner. You have to take the measures as far as cracking down. Now, I'm not I'm not speaking lethal here. I'm talking non-lethal. You deal with this this situation on a level of trying to preserve life instead of uh, instead of ending it. So you don't want to get to that point. The thing is, because if you go down that road, you're not any better than they are, because that's ultimately what they want. If you go to the violent side of it, you're giving them precisely what they're asking for. That's the point. This is what they're pushing for. It's nudge, push, shoot. They're pushing at the moment expecting someone else to shoot. See, if you shoot first, you lose. So this is where they're at at the moment, the the movement. I mean, I'm not talking one country here. I'm talking where we're seeing this mostly US, UK. So if you go at them in in a sense of you restore order by any means necessary, as opposed to you just go in there and you clean it out. Well, that's just paving the way for another group to come in. So if you actually go in, you capture them, you get the leaders of the group, you prosecute them, You give them jail sentences. And when I say jail sentences, I'm not talking 30 days in the county jail. No, 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 no. I'm talking 10 years, 15 years. You give them that. You you slap some community service on them when they come out as well. They'll be pretty meek for a while. And then the rest of us can get back to living life. So you mentioned there about uh, about Soros and and Gates and and the like. Yes. So, um, yes, this is stuff that they're behind the scenes cooking the stuff up. I mean, this is not like this has got Soros fingerprints all over it. Right. And you've got the corporations, the big name corporations. They're on board with all this stuff. Gates is is surely on board. Hell, he owns he's the second largest stakeholder in the brick company that we're leaving pallets of bricks all, all across the U.S. So the thing to pay attention to here is what are they trying to do? It's not it's not this this uh, these riots in the streets. That's not what they're trying to do. That's just trying to get the population turned against each other. They, They want us to be pitted against someone else. And then they create the totalitarian system. And then they administer that system offshore. That's the point. So they can they can direct and, and steer which way that goes. But the more important thing is, is what are they trying to do? What are they trying to cook up? And, and I want to bring Bruce in on this because I know Bruce has probably heard some about this. They're experimenting now because this is what's happening in the U.S. I don't know if the U.K. is doing this as well. They're experimenting now with something called modern monetary theory. And that is they're printing money like it's going out of style, like, literally like it's going out of style. And so we're getting into monopoly money territory. We're getting into Weimar Republic, Germany kind of territory at a certain point because the dollar can't take it. And so I think that globally, they're looking to hit a reset button on finance capital. What do you think, Bruce? Yeah, I I absolutely think that's it. If you look at the organizations that are trying to stir up trouble in, in, in all these countries with the riots, they 
absolutely need the currencies to collapse so that they can enact their own. Uh, I believe the U.S. is something in the line of $8 trillion just from COVID-19 stimulus mm-hmm. stuff or, or COVID-19 related. And we have another, what, $3 trillion? One to $3 trillion bill uh, that's being designed right now or created. So, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, 10, 11 trillion. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, at, they're trying to do this to, to collapse it and then bring their own in and bring their own systems into place. So you see, it's not just about tearing down monuments. It never was. That, that's not the that's not the point. The, the point is, is that, look, they, they've broken the capitalism system. They've broken it. Their own corruption, their own you know, nihilistic attitudes have gotten them to a point where they have completely destroyed our monetary system, our, our market system. And so now, now that they're all at the top, you know, Soros and company and, and Gates and the rest of them, Amazon, you know, all the major corporations, they're all on board with this, all of them. Why is that? Why are they on board? Because they're at the top. They're pulling that ladder up. They don't want anybody else to come up there. Why are we being targeted as as we, the populace, why, we, the people? Why are we being targeted? Because we are their potential competition in a free market system. They can't have that. They've got to shut us down. So with people that could be your potential competition, how do you get rid of that? How do you remove that? If you don't want to compete with that potential population, then what do you do? You take another section of the population and you manipulate them and you turn them against your potential competition and wipe them out. See how this is working? That, without a doubt, in my mind, all of that they just talked about is happening. But on the face of it, it's all so unreal to you know people from my background. We we just don't get it. We don't see why. I've said this before a number of times. If I got fabulously wealthy, I would immediately retire. You wouldn't see me for dust. My feet would be up on a sun lounger in the Bahamas, rum punch bit of fishing and a bit of reggae dancing in the evenings. These people are so driven. They are sociopathic. There's no doubt about it. They are high-functioning sociopaths, and they've got such a strong drive for wealth. Now they've achieved the wealth, that drive has turned into power and control, and there's no cure for it. There's no cure for it. Just like there's no cure for a real cure for a sociopath or a pedophile, these super ambitious, these top 1% of achievers have got such a thirst for power and control. I, I honestly don't know how we're going to combat it because they've got the money and people will do anything for money. Even even if you know they're trying to tear, tear it all down, tear, tear down the the monetary system to to replace it with something new people won't see that they'll still do anything for these bad actors who can throw billions around and that is the sad what's one of the saddest things about human nature is our willingness to to take a handout to do something that is probably not very good for us so yeah i mean i've got other stuff i want to I want to talk about as, as far as these riots and police, but I want the listening public to start waking up and be aware. Everyone thinks I'm supporting my political party. I'm supporting anti-racism. I'm supporting my national identity. I'm protecting our monuments. No, you're not. You're being used in a class stroke race war out of which the chaos comes 
from which these bad actors, these 1% of the elite, take control. Um, profiling, Bruce. What, mm-hmm. what do you think about profiling? Should profiling be used? Absolutely. I mean, when, you, when you're looking at statistics and you see numbers, for example, here in the U.S., yeah, technically, um, you, can see, you can say it's racist, but when you look at the stats and the numbers, you see that you know, African-American males are more likely to aggress cops than Caucasian males. I mean, yeah. and then conversely, you're more likely to be shot as a white man than a black man. So, you know, uh, that's, that's just a numbers game, though, because I've, right. I've heard that recently. So statistically, yes, you are, because the the black Asian minority ethnic population of the U.S., funnily enough, is around about the same percentages as it is in the U.K., which is about 12 to 14 percent. Yep. So if the remaining 86 percent are white, obviously the numbers would suggest that you're more likely to be shot dead by police if you're mm. white. So with profiling here in the in the UK, back in the 70s and 80s, there was a thing called stop and search. And it was mm-hmm. really, really unpopular with the black community because they were the ones that were being stopped and searched. So yeah, that in New York. Yeah. And it's back. You know, police forces are or police services are allowed to stop and search because of the level of knife crime amongst drug gangs, basically. Drug gangs are not using guns here in the UK. They're using knives. They're creating these American style gangs and there's there's kind of initiations. Initiation might be you've got to go and stab someone, as well as using uh, knife violence to enforce their territory, their area in which they deal. So as these gangs are predominantly young black men, they are being stopped and searched. Now, there's a video popped up the last few days on YouTube, on all the social media sites. And some young lad, he might have been 14 years old, is being stopped and searched. And in the background is a whiny libtard. You can't do that. You, why are you stopping him searching? That's racist. And giving the police all kinds of abuse about stopping and searching this young man. At which point, the officer pulls out a 12-inch kitchen knife from the kid's backpack and another knife out of his pocket, a smaller knife. So that's obviously just one instance. Mm-hmm. But I honestly wouldn't mind if, if every time I left my house, a policeman said, do you mind if I pat you down? Apart from the physical contact, which I quite enjoy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would make me feel safer if everyone was being searched. Mm-hmm. There's an old joke, isn't there, about the nightclub bouncer saying, you know, as people are coming in, got any weapons? Got any drugs? No. Do you want some? Um, <laughs> it's getting like that. In the, in the inner cities, kids are mm-hmm. carrying knives. I've got knives, but they never leave the house. Or if I'm going camping or fishing or something like that where I need the knife, it stays in the rucksack. It stays in the car until I'm away from the public. And you know, using it for a, a legitimate reason. People these days are carrying knives. I, I don't know what the law is in, in the States, for instance, because 
here in the UK, you're not allowed to carry a knife with a blade, and it's not allowed to be automatic opening. It's got to have a blade less than three inches. If you're caught with anything other than that on you, you're in a lot of trouble. And if, even if it meets the requirements, if you've got no good reason to be carrying it, you can still be arrested, taken to court and go to prison. So what what is the, the status on, on carrying knives in the U.S.? It varies by state, but more or less, we don't really have much regulation that I'm aware of as far as knives are concerned. Um, you'll get targeted by police more, obviously, if you're carrying an obvious, like a machete or something, you know. I mean, obviously, they're going to address that. But at the same time, I'm not sure that doesn't fall under the Second Amendment. And technically, we're supposed to be allowed to carry weapons openly and yeah. not get in trouble. But it, that, of course, varies by state, and they're not following that constitutionally. But as far as you know, being patted down and whatnot, frisked, as we call it, I mean... I know it would make it make us feel safer, but at the same time, I don't know that they can actually legally do that here in the U.S. just because of constitutional rights. You know, they, they would have to have a, a, a reason to do it like, a um, you know. Yeah. And, and, and this is this is the issue. I've been watching all the First and Second Amendment auditors, mm -hmm. uh, their videos. And a lot of the time I just find it quite antagonistic. But at the end of the day, your police should by now. No, someone's walking with an AR, open carry, unloaded within, you know, what, you know, obeying the rules, or someone's got a, a Bowie knife on the hip. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that's the same. As long as it's visible, I would want to know why that person's carrying that weapon. But the police are so bad. I'm, I'm really sorry, our American listeners. Just blame me. Don't blame the other two guys. Your police are half trained and over equipped. Our police are overtrained and half equipped. And the way crime is going, having a one taser, which you can deploy twice, I believe, mm -hmm. you know, if you are a two police officers on a patrol and you're faced with five or six lads all armed with eight to 10 inch bladed knives, those tasers aren't going to go round. It's mm -hmm. not going to be enough. By the time um, help gets there, um, those five or six lads, if they had intent, could have done you in. Yep. So it concerns me for our police. I get what you're saying about your constitutional rights. You've got to be that they've got to have reasonable grounds to detain you. And if you are arrested, they have to tell you of what crime they suspect you have committed. But in the stop and search stuff, that is profiling and it is proximity. You know, if you're near an area where there's been problems, you will be stopped and searched. If you look like the kind of individual who will be carrying a knife for gang reasons, you will be stopped and searched. But if it would stop them whining about it, because it's a perfect, to my mind, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, I would be happy to be stopped and searched every time I left my house. I'm not even joking. I'm not even saying that just to counter their argument. I've, I've if it meant the streets were a safer place, I'd be more than happy to put up with that. Here in the U.S., my understanding is they can frisk you for like basic weapons and stuff or, or to see if anything's there if they have suspicion. But to actually search you, I think they have to have very clear suspicion or, you know, you're under arrest or something as far as that's concerned. I, I think if there's been robberies or issues with drugs and that sort of thing in an area and you're in the area 
and it's you know you you don't fit the stereotype that's around there or you know what they're commonly seeing then that's enough suspicion for them to at least take you aside and be like you know what's up why are you here you know basically at least question you but in regards to to our officers not being trained well enough i think you would even get officers to, to agree with you here in the u.s unfortunately they're not trained well enough it's the de-escalation skills yeah it's the interpersonal skills it's all the stuff that stops a minor incident becoming a major incident. I've talked about it before on podcasts, and there is so much video evidence out there now. You know, you can't sneeze without someone videoing it, These, especially right. days with sneezing, because obviously the virus is still out there. But there's so much evidence to say that your state and county police departments, sheriff's departments are woefully undertrained in terms of uh, de-escalation they're not rehearsed enough on procedure i dare say they have been trained on you know the local policy of how to proceed for each different type of incident but i don't think they've they've rehearsed it enough you know practice makes perfect and because they've got the option to go to a firearm they seem to want to do that more readily it's just the impression i've got and again i'm sure there's thousands of perfectly polite you know, reasonable police officers, tens of thousands of perfectly polite, reasonable police officers who follow the law and uphold the constitution. But there's so much video evidence of the bad ones that it really does make you wonder, you know, was Police Academy the film a documentary? Right. That's well, what I mean, makes me wonder. So there is an element of when they've used all of their, you know, all the non-lethal gadgets in their tool belt, a lot of times cops don't know where to go. They don't have that extra training on, you know, uh, proper takedown te- techniques, which they're actually banning. God, I forget what it's called. They, they're calling it the chokehold, but that's that's not what it is. It, it's yeah, it's like, a rear, rear naked choke. Yeah, and it it basically, it, it cuts off circulation to your brain and your brain just shuts down basically and goes to sleep. And it, it like, <laughs> I've seen it used on people and literally you get them in the hold and within like 10 seconds, boom, they're out. And it's Ten, just, they're, they're sleeping. And- 10 seconds is too long, mate. I've done well, it and I've put yeah. people to sleep within two seconds. Yeah, it's been, it's been, off, right. but it's, it's extremely effective. Right. Um, and, but, yeah. but if you're high on something, it, it, it can sometimes take a little bit longer. That's why I, the, the longer uh, yeah. that I was saying, but yeah. that's being banned in a lot of these cities. And so they're not able to, or just don't even have the training how to do that maneuver. Uh, or even some some basic um, some of the basic martial arts uh, uh, takedowns, or or even just to defend themselves and keep distance from the the assaulter aggressor. So uh, you know if they were to be knocked down or something in some of the situations that we've seen recently. So I absolutely agree. You know they need more training on this, and it needs to be a regular like I don't know once a month, multiple times a month, you know once a week, whatever it is. They need to have just a day set back to go through the training and everything. We see like sports, uh, you know, athletes, they go through training the majority of the year and only perform, you know, a small fraction of, uh, you know, that comparatively. Whereas law enforcement is complete opposite. They have very little training throughout the year and they're performing constantly. So they need that extra oomph. And I'm sure Johnny can go into greater deep, you know, what what his thoughts are. It's, it's not necessarily those things that I was talking about, although though you make uh, quite a few good points there. When I say de-escalation, I'm talking about 
actually listening to someone. Right. Are they fighting me? Are they attacking me? No, right. I don't need to put on or restrain them yet. But first step seems to be restraint on your face, hands behind your back, cuffs. And when someone's laying on top of you putting cuffs on, and it's a you know a two hundred and forty pound policeman, and you're you're a a hundred and ten pound ringing wet juvenile. It hurts, and people struggle. Joe, you know, if if I got arrested now with my my arthritis, my knees, I couldn't get on the floor. He'd think I was resisting arrest. It would take me so long to get down into the position he wants me in that he'd think I was resisting arrest and probably tase me if I was lucky. No, I'm talking about talking people down. There's there's another, I, I spent far too much time watching YouTube, but there's another video, a black guy, he's just a few hundred yards away from a strip mall and he's waiting for his sister. He's clearly got mental health issues, but 100% was cooperating with the police officer that was talking to him. Another hulking brute came from the direction of the, the, the strip mall and just bear hugged him told him to put his arms behind his back, which, of course, he couldn't because the guy had him in a bear hug. And then he took that as as excuse enough to just slam the guy into the floor. And he was only a very slight man, and he broke his ribs. You know, he was in agony. And then later on, you see in the video, the decent police trying to comfort him and make him comfortable and waiting for an ambulance to arrive. It's just shocking. If someone's not attacking you, there's always a chance you can talk them down, baton, pepper spray, taser, firearm, or martial arts restraints, you know, physical restraints. And I just think that they they need training in those areas about to talk someone down, get them on their side, gain confidence. But no, they don't need to because they can go straight to a gun. They can cut all that bull out. They can go straight to... If you don't do as I say, I will shoot you. And that is what I've seen on many, many videos about the gun comes out. The officer claims it's for his own safety. It's not. It's just to save time because he hasn't got the time or the training to win the psychological battle, you know, win friends and influence people, get the person you're talking to on your side. So even if you do have to put the cuffs on in the end, He's going to come quietly because he can trust you. You're not going to beat him up in the cells because he's he, you've gained that level of trust. So I'm sorry, I, I just see a big gap police training. Part of the problem with the videos is you're, you're seeing a fraction of time there. We don't necessarily know how many altercations they had with the police officer beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as the bear hugging one, that one is uh, sounds really bad. You know, shouldn't happen. But he the, just the thing is, the guy because he fitted the description of someone mm. who was panhandling at the strip mall. Mm. This guy just walked over and grabbed him. You can see, for, and, and this video is from the police officer's body cam, by the way. It's mm. not from anyone else. It's from the police officer's body cam. You can see the guy approach while he's talking to him. And the police officer didn't, who was talking to the suspect, didn't even notice his colleague come in and blindside the guy. And yes, you're right. If you don't see the whole video, you don't know how much has gone on. But like I said, if you're talking and you're not being physically attacked, there are ways and means of achieving what you want without violence. But because it's the easy option, because it, due to the fact that there is this big training gap, 
that's what they go for. They'll go for the violence. They'll go for the the chokehold. They'll go for the the gun. They'll go for the taser. They'll go for the pepper spray instead of trying to talk the person down. You know, when I was uh, when I was going through training on you know how to properly take somebody into custody, one of the things that that they made mention to was that that was essentially. It, I mean, this has been you know 10, 12 years ago. Well, actually, 10, 15 years ago, and. They were saying then that taking someone into custody as in placing handcuffs on someone, you really don't want to do that unless it's unless you have no other choice. And so the first thing you want to try and do now, like I said, this is how I was trained. You want to establish what we called a therapeutic rapport with someone. So you want to start the verbal de-escalation. You want to stand there and you want to have that dialogue with someone and you want to be able to exchange the ideas and keep the focus on you. You've got two people going at it back and forth and say like a domestic situation or whatever it might be or or some type of an altercation. You want to separate, but you want to make sure that the focus remains on yourself because you need to step in and you need to take charge of that situation. And so a lot of times what a lot of these officers will do, and I'm not speaking for one particular state because states and locales, they're all different when it comes to this stuff. But a lot of times what they'll do is they will go in and they will secure people and they'll put everybody in handcuffs until they can figure out what's going on. So the situation doesn't get further out of control. You don't have people running. Here's the difference. We might be talking about not just a training aspect, which I agree there's issues there. I mean, there's no question about that. So I'm in full agreement with here, but we're also dealing with something else. And I think it's kind of being overlooked here. We're dealing with a cultural difference. Americans especially the criminal element of American society, they don't like to sit down and talk if they feel as though they're being accused of something or if they feel like they're going to possibly be taken into custody. Therefore, you need to secure them as quickly as possible so they don't have time to think about their alternatives of possibly doing harm to another officer or possibly someone else or running away from that situation. So there, there's that aspect of it too. Now, I understand on this side of the pond where you and I are, Marty, people aren't like that. You know, people will cooperate with the police because you have different cultures of people. United States, unfortunately, doesn't have that. You have a heavy criminal element and a criminal underworld in the United States. And on top of that, you've got some terrible, terrible cultural practices over there when it comes to dealing with police. Hence why you see all of the bad aspects as opposed to the good aspects. We listened to a clip last week of the New York City Police Department, uh, the head of their police union, the NYPD, and he said, rattled off some statistics there at his podium when he was giving a speech to the uh, to the press, and he said that they've had 375 million interactions with the public. 375 million. And you've had, you had over 90% of that 375 million that were positive feedback results, positive feedback, feedback results out of 375 million interactions. So the thing is, is you don't ever hear about that. All you hear about is that one bad case or those 10 bad cases or whatever. That's what they focus on. That's what they pay attention to. See, it's the same thing when it comes to gun violence in the U.S. It's a terrible thing whenever it happens. I agree. But you get one mass shooting paid attention to, as example, uh, the case now of the uh, the shooting at the Texas Walmart in El Paso a couple of years. What was it last year or something when that happened? 20 people died to someone going in there and unloading on people with an AR. Terrible thing. Shouldn't have happened. However, that's being paid attention to. Yet 104 people were shot in Chicago last weekend alone, 14 of them fatal being children. But yet we hear nothing of that. So they pick and choose how they want to go with it 
when it comes to an agenda and what people see. And then that facilitates the argument amongst the population like we're sitting here having now. Yeah, granted. Now, obviously, we can't go through the entire list of all the different departments and law enforcement agencies within the US. But I would say a New York cop has got a hard job. And I'm pretty sure that the level of training within NYPD is quite high, is at quite a high standard. Um, yes, it is. Nationwide. It is. It's almost to the point uh, of the federal law enforcement agencies, which I think are probably pretty well trained as well. I'm talking about your small county sheriff's department, where the majority of these videos that are there on YouTube and they pop up on your Facebook feed. If you watch one, you'll be fed a thousand more. I'm wise to that. But the majority of them involve absolutely no reason traffic stops. And am I right in saying that there's a trend amongst these small towns, county, you know, state police departments to be used as a way of collecting a stealth tax, a hidden revenue? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You will get no argument from me on that. I, I will assure you because I, and I'm sure Bruce is too, we are against that type of thing. The car mm-hmm. stops are completely unnecessary. They've been given quotas. It's not the officer's fault. I can't fault the officer in a sense. I mean, they could turn around and, and say that they, they refuse to do that or, or that type of thing, but they do it. And if they don't do it, then they get knocked at their annual review when they get evaluated for their performance. So they get handed down quotas and then they go out and they get somebody like I, I got knocked for what was the last speeding ticket I had in the US? It was two miles over the speed limit, two miles per hour over the speed limit. And I sat there and I'm, I tell the officer, I'm like, are you serious, man? He's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I, I got to do it. And there's $120 I can't get back for something that ridiculous because I'm not going to go to court and fight two to you know two miles per hour. I'm just going to pay it and be done with it. That's your fine, and you just move on. And it goes on your license. It's just stupid. So yes, there is an element there, especially in the small towns, because they're told to go out and revenue generate. Uh, and so essentially what they do is they handpack the public. And what does it do? It, it creates, not only does it create anxiety and stress amongst people when you're out on the road, but it creates an unnecessary rift in the community and the policing culture. You have to have a good relationship and a good rapport with the public. And if you're constantly knocking the public, as in going out and, and handing out ridiculous BS uh, speeding tickets and, and parking tickets and everything else, well, all that's going to do is turn the public against against you in the community. Yeah, and it happens here in the UK as well. In the UAE, when they introduced speed cameras, which automatically fine you, and you know you just get a, a text message that says you are worth 500 dirhams. They were used to driving very, very fast. They've got great roads. Been to the US. I've and seen got, the roads, yeah. Yeah, uh, and you've got most places really, really good roads that I've seen anyway. But the the UAE have got absolutely excellent roads that you can do reasonable speeds on safely. But they introduced the cameras because it is a stealth tax. The locals, they take advantage of the frequent offenders discount. And I've seen seen people go to pay their speeding fines because otherwise they get the car impounded. There's no point in taking their license off them, although they do. But then they just go across to Amman or into Saudi and get another license from that country and drive on that instead. So where I was going with this is that we have it here in the UK. I, in my entire life, 
I've had one speeding ticket. And that was from a camera. It was on a stretch of road that um, in my entire living memory had been 40 miles an hour. Well, they stuck a 30 mile an hour speed limit on it while I was away. I came back. It was quarter to midnight. There was not another car on the road. And I went past the camera and that's it. That cost me £60 and three points on my license. And it is just a, a revenue generator for the local authority. And I've got a friend here in the UK, a very good friend of I've known him for decades, wound up working as a as a traffic warden, you know, a meter maid, as you would say. And he was on his beat and he wasn't giving enough tickets out. He lost his job after he was the supervisor, actually, but he because they said you've got to increase the amount of tickets that you issue each day. And he, he just wouldn't do it. He would not persecute the local drivers to that to the extent that the bosses wanted him to. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it just breeds uh, a bad feeling. And then you get pulled over in the States, where we're talking about these videos. The guy in the car is like, well, I'm going to record this because this is not on. The cop is immediately aggressive because he realises he's being recorded, wants to issue the ticket. That's what he should do, just issue the ticket. But then it goes to, show me this, show me that, and you step out of the car. I need to search you. Why do you need to search me? I can smell marijuana. No, you can't because I don't smoke it. <laughs> yeah, there's right. none in the car. Yeah. You know, right. and, it, and, it, and it goes on. Uh, and it's a cycle, a vicious circle of antagonism between the public and the police. And obviously, we started talking about Brixton and the riots mm-hmm. in Brixton. There is a complete breakdown in relationships between the people who live in that area, or rather the gangs that control that area, and the police. And last night, as you said, quite rightly, the police seem to have been set up to fail. I've been here slagging police forces off, you know, criticising them. I They're victims. To, They're victims. In they, this. they are. They, they are. But just like the communities that are complaining about, you know, systemic racism, yes, there is systemic racism. But if you present uh, a public image of, you know, being willing to go straight to violence and, and, and commit crime, you've got to expect a bad reaction from people. And unfortunately, the statistics show that inside the African-American community, something like 32, we said this the other day, 32% of violent crime is committed by 6% of your population. Mm -hmm. And that that is that demographic. So Mm -hmm. if they cleaned up their act and reduced the crime and the police at the same time worked on uh, having better de-escalation skills, better interpersonal skills, not going for the nuclear option every time and drawing the service weapon, then we might get back to some kind of equilibrium and some kind of normality. But the media is stirring it up. People are paying good money for this chaos. And the only way it's going to stop is for people to realize what is actually happening, which is part of our earlier conversation. I wanted to end on uh, what's going on because you said today's a nice day, right? It's really hot and you're coming coming up on the weekend. Yeah. And so you're going to have some beachgoers because it just so happens the United Kingdom is an island in and of itself. So uh, you guys have got some beaches. Well, some people are, are flocking to the beach in Bournemouth. Does that sound right? Yeah, Dur- Durdledore. 
It's yeah, a, yeah. a very popular beach. It's got yes. some rock features of the cliffs that basically where you've got a section of rock that has been eroded, so it makes an archway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the local people uh, around there, most of their local business relies on tourism. However, I've got a friend who's a paramedic and lives that way, and he is furious uh, about the sheer numbers of people, the, the breaking of the social distancing rules, <laughs> and the yeah. risk that they're putting onto the local community. Yeah. What was your point about beach? Well, that was actually going to be you, you pretty much about caught it right there. You're looking at a, at a temperature of uh, about 90, 92 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about uh, 33 degrees Celsius. I was going to say, what's that in gotta your do, money? Got to do. Yeah, got to do that in both. Roads are gridlocked by a half a million visitors right at Bournemouth Beach. People camp out on the sand and fights are breaking out. So yes, the emergency services down there, they say in their own words, they're quoting here, uh, they are stretched to the absolute hilt on the second consecutive hottest day of the year. So council bosses also said that they were appalled at the scenes on the Dorset coast, blasting the irresponsible behavior. I'm sorry, what? No, I was going to say that they were appalled while secretly rubbing their hands with glee for all the (laughs) money they get from the parking, uh, the local businesses are, are operating, the ice cream parlors, the coffee shops. Look, simple fact of the matter is we have got an underclass in the UK, a benefits claiming underclass. Not everyone who, who's claiming benefits is part of this underclass, but there are some families now that are into their third generation that have spent their entire life on benefits. When they go to the beach, and they drink, and they don't know how to behave, they wind up being a problem. They need to be prosecuted for it. Anyone kicking off a fight on a busy beach under a pandemic in a heat wave needs to go and be locked up and to have a nice cool down. I'm not talking I'm not talking 10 years now. I'm talking two or three months, but just so that they are taught a lesson. The county itself, uh, Dorset, needs, needs its tourism. It needs things to open up. There are some big industry within Dorset as well, but predominantly it's the tourist trade that brings the county's money in and it needs things to open up. But they're just not rigged to cope with the, the sudden influx that's happened. And so my friend is really, really about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't say to be fair, I mean, to you know, not not to take sides here, but to be fair, I see that people are largely, you know, they're tired of you know being cooped up. They're, they're tired of, of staying home. And I mean, it's summer, you know, I mean, it, it, look, we know that the number of cases are going up. But then again, they're doing more testing. The number of deaths are not up, even though they say that they are. But as you do more testing, the numbers stay the same. The percentages go down. So it becomes a minute point and it's not even really relevant. It's to the point now where it's almost irrelevant. So regardless, and I know where you're at on it, but regardless, we cannot stay closed any longer. We can't do it because our economies can't handle it. The only reason that we're looking even at this COVID stuff still is because it's a political game now. It's not about public health. It never was. It never was. That's not what it's about. It was about giving themselves cover to trigger those riots. That's where it started. And so now they can say, well, I see the riots are starting to fizzle out. They're becoming unpopular. They can't really run much further with that ball. So what are they doing? 
Now they're going back to COVID. If you look around the web today, if you look at all the media outlets, what are they saying? Oh, the U.S. has got cases. That's the largest spikes in a day. Surge among the young. Texas is not reopening. And uh, we've got hospitals that are on the verge of being overwhelmed. See, they're looking to shift that agenda again. See, this is the point is they have that particular thing in the population. They reclassify everything to it. And then it sets the precedent for them to be able to turn it on and off whenever they want. And that's precisely what they're doing. So the fact that we're still entertaining these ideas like social distancing where I'm at, man, that stuff went out the window like, I don't know, a month and a half ago. I'm surprised you guys are still even doing it because it's ridiculous. It came from a 14 year old kid in the first place. The U.S., as far as I know, they're not following it. The mask thing, the states that are of the uh, blue origin, we'll say like New York, Washington, California, Oregon. These states are now mandating that you wear masks at all times. Why are they doing that? Why, why are they doing that? Why just those states when they actually so have the lowest number of cases? Tell a protester from someone who's just going to well, there's there's that too. But it's also it also shows. Well, I'm not going to get into it, but <laughs> yeah. it, it shows it shows subjugation is what it does. Uh, that that's what and it's it, all about. The, the masks right. are about control. In the UK, we we have gold, silver, and bronze commands, which are the various levels briefing as it gets dropped down on incidences on incidents. At least at the bronze level, the briefing is that we are expecting another spike. And we were expecting a spike even before the riots and protests for Black Lives Matters and Antifa. So I'm probably inclined to believe there is a second spike coming. But whether it's a, a naturally occurring spike or whether it's being engineered now somewhere in the middle of China, I don't know. That's just my cynicism. But the point you were talking about the beaches and People going to the beaches. Most people, most sensible people, are still waiting. They're still waiting to be told. And if that makes them sheep and easily controllable, then it looks like I fall into that category because I've maintained social distancing. I'm still working from home. In fact, I haven't got a choice until I'm told I can go back to back into the office. You know, we're we're all still working from home. But you're right. People do need to get back to work. They do need to do things. So a slowly, slowly approach uh, by reducing the social distancing from two meters down to one, which is what was being voiced recently. Shops now being able to open non-essential shops as long as they've taken the precautions of separating the cashier from the customer. And that whilst in the store, you're still able to maintain social distancing. I can't wait. Uh, I'm so looking forward to the end to all this. But what I know and what I believe tells me that it's going to be a very long time. And when we come out the other side of it, it's almost going to be unrecognisable from what we had before this all started to happen. And I just hope that the people who are responsible for this outbreak, for this pandemic, suffer. I hope the ones that are responsible for it, the ones that caused it, suffer for it. By that, I'm in the Chinese Communist Party. You and I both know, my friend, how this ends. We, we both know how this ends. Yeah, we, we will. So we are out of time. Marty, Bruce, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Johnny. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.